Hi, welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of graphic novels and comic book news, uh, live from Comic-Con. I'm Heidi McDonald, and here I am with David Steinberger, the president of Comicsology. Was that your title? I never remember anybody's title. Well, I think that's one of the titles, but I usually say founder and CEO. Founder and CEO. There we go. Well, you know, I was so (laughs) close. I, I almost nailed it. Um, so, David, we're, we're here in the quiet room at the Comixology booth, but there's a lot of activity going on out there. What's, yeah, what's some yeah. of the stuff that you have this year? It's your 10th anniversary, so yep. you let out all the stops. 10th anniversary year. Yep, we have uh, tons of stuff going on at the booth. Uh, one of the big things is our, our trading card, the creator trading cards. We have uh, our final collection. It's the third time we've done it. And we got these awesome ones that uh, just said, I don't know, how many of these are there? No, of this of the of the uh, Kevin Smith ones. We have these heavy hitters by Kevin Smith, and I think that's I don't know six of them. Yeah, uh, and so he's picked out some of his favorite creators. So extra collectible. Wow, uh, there's nice. It's like Bruce Tim on yeah. there, and oh yeah, and yeah we got, we got an amazing bunch of uh, creators, and doing all sorts of signings over here. That's how you get the cards, or you can get them at our panels. We got a bunch of those. Uh, we're actually doing something uh, tonight with Kevin Smith on a, on a kind of a game show panel. Oh, it should wow. be a lot of fun. So this is the third time you've done these. This is the third and final series. It's really sad, but, but you know, all good things must come to an end. But uh, last year they debuted, and I know there was New York Comic Con set, right? Yeah, so this yeah. is the third one. So, uh, you know, besides my obvious love of this this promotion, I mean, how, what's been the you know reaction to this? Well, I, you know what I love? I love the creators themselves who want to be a part of it. <laughs> I knew it. I you know, knew it. They just after the first one, we were like, "Oh, there's something going on here." So many people are like, "Oh, I need to be on those cards." That's mm-hmm. my quest in life now is to get right. on these cards. And so it's really fun. And it's just, I mean, look, we're celebrating the thing that makes us possible, right? You know, the actual stories that are being told and the creators that make them. So that's super fun. Uh, and you know, I I, it, I didn't know this was going to be the final run, but it's really fun. And, and you know, partnering with IMDb as well, our sister company at Amazon, right? Which is fun. Uh, with their boat out here, right? And, uh, That's right. Know, There's a boat celebrating the uh, creators, right? Um, so what? Um, you know, the ten years you launched this. Obviously, I mean, David. I know I've interviewed you for the podcast before, and we have talked about you know how I, I, I thought you know ten years ago you and I were talking. Yeah, that's first right. came to me. That's I right. was. I think I was one of the few people who didn't laugh. On maybe Twenty like Second Street. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We had, yeah. we had lunch once. That's right. That's right. Um, but what did you, did you foresee where digital comics would be now, 10 years later? I mean, what's been no. the most surprising thing I mean, about that about journey? It, if you think about 10 years ago, I think everybody forgets that the iPhone didn't exist. That's right. And like, nobody knew there was going to be an iPhone except Jobs and the folks at Apple, I suppose. And I also think they probably didn't understand it would create a revolution of content and apps and the, what's become of it. Remember, like he even announced it and said there would be no apps, it would just be web apps. Um, but the fact that we all have these pieces of glass that are so incredibly powerful made digital comics work even right. better than they do on a desktop or a laptop. It's just super convenient and really beautiful, particularly like the giant iPads and the retina screens that we have on these big phones. And, and so really, like that's the biggest thing that we could not have possibly predicted. Um, I think the other thing that has been uh, nice to see, but we need to try to drive even more is, is uh, you know, there's kind of a maturity of storytelling that happens, I think, in the 2000s, really, and some really amazing stories being told, and the writing and, and, and uh, art are just maturing terrifically. There's also increased diversity. I mean, you know, eight years ago when I first came to San Diego, it was like, 
wow, this looks way more diverse than the people we're selling to. Right. This is, so many of these people are not reading comics, at least the way we think about them. And so how do we tap into that? I think we've all made a lot of progress. We've announced some numbers, like we doubled our female readership over the last uh, six years. And I still think there's a huge distance to go. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm super, I, I think without Apple, we wouldn't have probably made it, honestly. Uh, and piracy would be the rule of the day. Right. Um, but but uh, I think the, the big surprise has been we're weathering this kind of downturn of the direct market better than the direct market itself. <laughs> even though we kind of fashion comicsology after a comic book store. Right. And we're fighting tooth and nail against our own biases internally to be more diverse, inclusive, and, and in fact try to identify who you are so that we can match you with some of the spectacular books that never make it to the direct market or have but, didn't, but aren't front and center now. Um, and to that end, actually, yesterday we launched, uh, out of testing, our first recommendation engine that's going to be on the homepage. Oh, wow. So this is huge. Yeah. yeah. So you can even, uh, really fun uh, way to test it and see what people are reading that read uh, certain books is to open up a, like a private, what they call private browser. Like mm -hmm. you can do in Firefox, new private browser. Oh, I know so it well. <laughs> no cookies, that type of thing, right? Uh, so single session. You can go to the site, Comixology site. Browse to one book, like search and find one book, and then go back to the homepage and see what recommendations you get. It's based only on that one book. Oh, wow. Uh, and as you combine those things up, it starts to show right. even more. But it's really fun to see, like if you go to Lumberjanes, kind of deep cuts of strong female leads that I didn't even know about. Right. You know. Right. And I'm the CEO of this company. You know, but when you have over 100,000 books, it's hard to make sure the right ones are servicing right. for the right people. I'm I'm assuming uh, that this is powered by some of Amazon's own recommendation yeah, yeah. We, engines. Yeah, so. we work with uh, with a, a personalization team at Amazon to take the data at Comixology. Uh, you know, we've got some employees at Comixology working on it, and and we actually fund the heads mm -hmm. in the personalization team as well to uh, yeah be thinking about it how does it work in comics so this is our first this is our first step and we will be uh, we'll be you know seeing how that goes and improving it over time and, and putting it in different places as right, well right right well that's huge because obviously Amazon's um, recommendation system is unparalleled as I know because I was trying to buy a new suitcase and boy once you start looking at something like that Amazon just won't let you go and it just keeps throwing ideas at you until you buy the suitcase so uh, you know applying that to comics and graphic novels can be very interesting yeah. you, know, you, you know you mentioned the downturn the direct market and you know we're definitely going through some kind of interesting times here um, you know, uh, Milton Grief at ICV2 and John Jackson Miller Comicron just put out their yearly report. They, they say that digital sales are flat. I mean, is that something that concerns you? Is that part of the maturing of the well, audience? It would, it would concern us. The, the uh, you know, we gave out a stat earlier this uh, month that uh, publishers that are in Comicsology Unlimited are seeing double digit growth this year. Mm. So between All Apart and CU itself, uh, it's a pretty healthy spot to be in. Um, yeah, you know the so does it, of course it concerns me. I do think it's an opportunity for other types of books to come to the forefront as mm -hmm. well. And believe me, uh, at the end of the day, I want Marvel DC Image to be the healthiest and best they can be. I also would love to see ten publishers being right. huge right. and healthy and see this as not 
you know, a, a billion dollar market, but a two billion dollar market segment, or a three billion dollar market segment, or six like it is in Japan. Right. By having huge amounts of diversity matched to you as a person and this person over here. I mean, the fact is, like, if we're only merchandising, we're slaves to the people uh, and the rules that we've set up for that merchandising. Right. When you start talking about personalization and identifying what's a great book for you, I think it opens up a whole new ballgame. Right, right. Hey, you know, one of the other things about um, comicsology that I, I'm, I'm going to mess this up, okay? So you can please okay. jump in and correct okay. me so I proper with it. Uh, I am an Amazon Prime member myself, and that has Kindle Prime. Is that what it's called? It has a, it has Prime Reading. Prime Reading, yes. See, yes. I knew I would mess up that. But I know you get free comics with it, is what I... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think we have probably 40, 50 or so mm. uh, trade paperbacks, graphic novels included in that, uh, including some from Marvel, uh, uh, Dynamite, uh, IDW... Um, yeah, and there's some good. Valiant. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there too because I know like Ms. Marvel oh, yeah. number one picked, is free. We pick what we thought right. with Marvel. Uh, we pick what we thought or knew were the best converting mm-hmm. uh, books. Where people once they pick up one, they felt compelled to pick up another. Right. So you know, again, it's all about the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ms. Marvel is a prime example Absolutely. of an entry comic for many different people, and a great comic for anyone who's into comics. Both, right? Right. Um, so yeah, that's been that's been terrific. Uh, as well as uh, we have twice the amount of books in Kindle Unlimited, and then that all leads to comics all again. Right. Okay. So yeah. so basically, Kindle Unlimited is allied with comics comicsology unlimited as yeah, well. Yeah, so, so it's like Prime Reading has a small selection mm-hmm. for free for Prime members. Kindle Unlimited has a much bigger selection, but still mm-hmm. fairly limited. And then those are all subsets of what's in comicsology right. unlimited. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I think that. Uh, I mean, Amazon is here doing a huge promotion with the Tick, obviously, yeah, which is yeah. uh, like really, really huge. But uh, you know, they're really talking about Prime, and, and you know, we've written. I, I mean, are there any other like little secret perks or lesser known perks that that maybe we should know about? Or no, but we are we are planning more and more perks. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, for well, sure. well, there's definitely a perk averse out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of terrain to be perked up, I guess. Yeah, you could and, say. We, and we do a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, we, we ran a promotion, I think that just ended maybe a week ago, for anyone who bought a print trade paperback or graphic novel, they got a free trade right. in digital. We ran that for probably two months. That was incredibly successful. Wow, And okay. introducing people to the joy of digital mm-hmm. alongside their print reading. So you're still seeing what Comicsology is doing as very much um, introducing people. I mean, like drawing them in and like bringing them yeah. new, new readers, converting new readers. I don't see. So we do both, right? We we definitely have a very big audience that are were born collectors, mm-hmm. no question about it, and have become readers over time. And, uh, but you know, I just don't see the point in continuing. I think it's if I were going to point out a problem in the direct market. It would be the difficulty of serving both a collector's mentality and a reader's mentality. Right. And so whenever thing, times get tough, the publishers lean on the retailers and the collector mentality. And that has nothing to do with good storytelling. Right. We only lean on good storytelling. It's the only thing that matters. And so, and so we believe that the deep catalog that we have, even in CU, right? We have over 10,000 books in CU. You know, for 30 days free and for six bucks a month, which is less than a trade paperback, right. you can just explore. And as we move that recommendation engine into the CU page, you can explore the very deep cuts beyond our front page, which will be, you know, the hits. Right. And right. there's just so much more amazing comics in our submit program, lots of indie books that 
are really serious gems and will appeal to yes. an audience yeah. that won't necessarily get the front page. Right. And so right. we have to figure out how to do this. So yeah, I absolutely think that our job is continuing to match people who should be reading comics with the right graphic novel or manga or comic book that they should be reading. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think you nailed it earlier. I mean, there's a lot of deep cuts. There's a lot of great material out there. And I think that's one of the things even at a show like this where people say that comics aren't front and center. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways of looking at Comic-Con, but there's certainly a huge comics presence here. Well, there's no doubt they have more programming for comic books than any right. convention. Let's Abs face it. Yeah, absolutely. So it is the biggest comics convention as a part of the biggest pop culture convention. Right. So it's un it's unfair. I get it. It's called Comic-Con. And so you want <laughs> all of us that are that hold comics right. dear to their hearts want it to be the only thing. Right. It would not be as big. And it's our opportunity. As I said before, when we came here eight years ago... Well, we've just been told to remain calm and await further instructions. So just to, to finish up. <laughs> well, so, in case anyway. you couldn't hear it, yes. what I was saying was that, you know, coming back to the eight-year point, eight years ago, it just looked like a much more diverse audience at Comic-Con mm -hmm. than we're reading and buying from Comixology. Right. right. And so it was really clear that people are attracted to uh, this kind of material that maybe can't find it looking at a storefront right and even at comiXology we're just we are guilty of this it's it's my mission and it's part of our drive at comiXology to kind of teach ourselves to avoid it by creating you know merchandising tenants and rules where we right. make sure that we show a diverse audience diverse characters and have diverse creators but like i said the personalization i think is going to be where you yeah. get that right and you're going to start uh, you're going to start showing books that people would have never, ever been able to right. find. So. Okay. All right. Well, we're signing off here. So before we get driven out. Well, as you heard that, we're continuing with our planned activities, which is me saying thank you, David. Yeah, uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, we made it through. Uh, we're not evacuating. Um, so more to come, okay. as always. See <laughs> Bye. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. We are back on the floor of the San Diego Convention Center, and that means the San Diego Comic-Con International. Uh, we're at the Penguin Random House booth, and I have the great pleasure to be able to talk to Sunny Liu, author of, of, of The Art of Charlie Chang Hot Chai, uh, a phenomenal book. Um, Sunny, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you can, you don't have to bend over. It's like, hey, you know, that's just, it's a very good microphone. Um, uh, well, we've talked about your book so much on the podcast. My colleagues, you know, Heidi McDonald and Kate Fitzgerald, uh, Kate Fitzsimmons, sorry, Kate. Um, it, it's a really an amazing combination of cartooning skills and history and political analysis um, um, and we want to talk about that but first I, I, I mean you have such an extensive career uh, I, I'd love for you to uh, maybe tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you became a cartoonist I mean you know um, I'm from Singapore so yeah. I'm from Singapore this week mm -hmm. um, I grew up reading comics and my first published work was in Singapore in the newspapers uh -huh. called Frankie and Pooh uh, at the time I was in college studying philosophy uh -huh. okay. and, um, but you know having done the comic I knew I wanted to do something that was kind of in the field because uh -huh. the whole process was so engaging and 
uh, I, I just loved having being able to take up ideas and having people read them. You know, the whole process was. Uh, so you're self-taught cartoonist. I was self-taught for a long time until my twenties. I went to art school, and that's where I met uh, Master Kelly, David Master Kelly. Uh huh. Oh, oh, did you really? Yeah, because yeah, uh -huh. he was teaching there for, uh, at RISD those, those years, and he went on to SVA later. But uh, uh -huh. at a point in time, he was there, and he was the first person I met ever who you know knew comics really well, right? Because he done both the superhero stuff and the indie stuff. Sure. So he gave me a lot of points on how to go about getting work from mm -hmm. you know DC Vertical, for example. Sure. This is my mm -hmm. first published work. Um, and since then, I've just been plugging away, trying to make yeah. my own comics, yeah. you know. And for a long time, I was kind of stuck doing. Well, I wasn't stuck, but I was doing art for other writers. And, uh -huh. and, and sure. This, but I always wanted to do my own writing and, and drawing. And this is kind of the book that I had a chance to, or I, I kind of made that time to do it. Yeah. And, sure. And, and well, it's turning out well, I, I think. So well, it, it, indeed, it, it did turn out quite well. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, um, I mean, I'm familiar with your work. Uh, I mean, let's see, I've got yeah. some down here. I mean, uh, the Shadow Hero, but even before that, I mean, the Shadow Hero with Jean, uh, Jean, Jean Yang, uh, this really interesting sort of recreation of this Chinese American superhero. I mean, arguably the first one. Um, but I knew you from um, Liquid City, um, and you've done many other things. You work for Marvel, DC, as you said. But this, I mean, <laughs> but Charlie Chen Hock Chai is of a different order. Uh, it would seem to me, without disparaging anything else you do. Um, I mean, it's obviously it's a history of Singaporean politics, uh, but it's also a history of cartooning. Yeah, I love comics. So. Uh, I mean, actually, I think I listen would rather hear you describe uh, just what is uh, the art of Charlie Chang. Um, <laughs> it's essentially, like you said, history of Singapore, but it's told through the lens of the fictional comic artist named Charlie Chan of Chai. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, the conceit of the book is that I'm creating a art book uh, that showcases all his works uh, along with interviews with him. And, uh, so there's this archival material that looks as if it's been created from the 60s onwards. Yes, but, but it does. It's, so, it's very convincing yeah, also. Thank you, thank you. So the, the whole idea was to make, make a convincing artist history that could tell the history of Singapore mm. as well. And then you would kind of go through also history of comics. That, you know, I think that was just interesting, interesting to me in itself. Mm -hmm. So to combine those two, two things together, I think, was what made this such a... Both challenging and fun book for me to do. Mm -hmm. Now, the historical part of it. I mean, when, you know, I mean, if you're a comics fan, I mean, it's it's a bonanza of Easter eggs as you go through it. I mean, um, you know, uh, uh, Tezuka. I'm just going to know okay. uh, Pogo. Obviously, Walt Kelly. Uh, I mean, Spider Man. Frank Miller as well. Frank Miller. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, I mean, it, you. It, it's. It's such an amazing collection of uh, visual tropes. But the research into the history and the politics, obviously, you're, um, are, are you, are you, you weren't born in Singapore. I was born in Malaysia. Yeah, uh, but, but clearly, I mean, you, you're a national and you... Um, so, well, tell us about the research. I mean, there's so much history here, and uh, and I guess to to a certain extent, it's um, there's a historical conflict of interpretation as well. I mean, to put it in context, you have to imagine a, a country with only one ruling party towards its history, right? And how much control they would have over the historical narrative. Uh, and, and I should say, I mean, Singapore is a, uh, a nation state. Isn't it? Right. I mean, it's yeah. a city. I read the yeah. city state. It's, it's an island. Basically. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's tiny. 
Um, so for me, growing up in Singapore, we, we, we kept hearing this, uh, what we call the Singapore story, which is the mainstream historical narrative. But you got hints of uh, sort of an alternative, uh, different story that you, know, you, you weren't really clear about, but it was kind of in the background somewhere. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of find out more about it. So this book for me was a process of, of learning more about the, 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 both the official and the unofficial narrative, and to find a way to turn that into a comic that would be accessible and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the kind of goal. Well, well, tell us about the, the two figures, the two political figures that sort of, at least it's certainly at the beginning of the book, sort of form the the, the opposing poles of, I guess, Singaporean democracy. Right. Um, so one of them would be Lee Kuan Yew, mm-hmm. who was yeah. Prime Minister for 31 years in Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, and still probably the dominant political circle figure in the country. Mm-hmm. And the other would be uh, a trade, uni- trade unionist called Lin Chin Xiong, mm-hmm. um, who has been, I would say, relatively largely forgotten in, in, our, in our modern history, mm-hmm. in a way written out of history by the official narrative. But uh, who were both, I would, I would think, considered giants back in the day when they were first starting out. And they kind of worked together in the beginning and as yeah. many many parties split into different factions. Sure. And, and, you know, uh, yeah. and, and he, yeah. he was a political prisoner, I guess, at, at various points as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, um, but his counterpart essentially prevailed yeah. politically. Yeah. Um, so now. We did an early story about the publication of the book, so there was some small controversy or more bigger controversy in Singapore um, uh, because, I mean, I guess you tell an alternative history. That's right. Yeah. Well, because in, in Singapore, um, most of the funding for the arts comes from government. So mm-hmm. we, the, the publisher, had applied for a publishing grant from the NAC or the National Arts Council, mm-hmm. and on the eve of the book's release, they called them up and told them they were pulling the ground back. Right? So, uh, which was kind of scary at the time because we, we weren't sure. quite sure how the book would do, you know, and mm-hmm. being like a, you know, the publisher would have lost money if it didn't do well. Mm-hmm. But um, as it turned out, the social media attention we got from that, that front yeah. draw gave the book a lot of attention and we actually have done very well uh, in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what, what's been the response in Singapore? Well, we have sold, I think we have, we're on our seven or eight print run. Uh-huh, so, so it's obviously the book is selling. It's selling. Yeah. We have, we've won a, uh, the book won the Singapore Literature Prize, the first uh-huh. mm-hmm. comic to win the prize, and also the Book of the Year award. Oh, so yeah, so you're doing okay. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, I, I hope it's doing well here. I don't know what the sales numbers are here. Can ask. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll talk with them. Um, but now, I do want to ask you one thing. I did notice, did you put up um, uh, some web information? Sort of about your your um, your process. your yeah your process and your financial infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was very interesting. I think we talked about it on um, uh, on our podcast at one okay. point because it was a very interesting mm-hmm. and uh, uh, transparent thing. I mean, we're always wondering how what are the terms and and working in the book trade as opposed to working in the comics market with a page rate is always very different. So, what was your goal in doing that? I was just trying to highlight how tough it is to make take comments yeah, well. because, um, you know, I think it's, it's not, not an unusual topic. I've seen people post stuff uh, on how people assume that once you have a so-called bestseller that you'll be doing financially very well, right. but of course the bestseller means a lot of different things at different levels. Yes, of course. Um, and for this book, um, you know, I, I've been paid 
ten thousand dollars in Singapore to do the book over two and a half years. Yeah. So if you look at it in, in those terms, it, it wasn't worth the time or the or the, the effort. But um, I'm unfortunate. The book has done well since then. Um, the, the money from Pantheon, from the other French editions, have uh-huh. made it financially viable. But uh-huh. um, so that's good. Yeah. So so you made it to the royalty level. You yeah. earned out. The- yeah. So, so but that, that was something you could never predict, right? And, sure. No. Yeah. And, and you, you, you make you you're not sure how it's going to turn out. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's always a risk. Uh, if you're doing a book for Marvel and DC, there's a whole different ball game because yeah. you pay rates and it's a good page rate. Yeah. Uh, but if you're doing a creator-owned book, it's always a shot in the dark. I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, I mean, art is a you know going taking an art as a career it is it's a sort of precarious you know vote of confidence in your own talent. Uh, but still, it's nice to be able to make a living yeah. <laughs> as well. Well, um, uh, well, I, I, it's very interesting, of course, because in the book, your, your fictional uh, Singaporean master cartoonist uh, makes a trip to Comic-Con. I mean, that's a kind of a crowning moment in the book, too. Um, but I, I, I take it you've been, to, you've been to Comic-Con many times before. This is probably like five or six times. Yeah, I think. yeah. So, um, so it's a it's a very interesting um, uh, narrative loop, you know, that we're a life is imitating art or vice versa. I'm not sure which. Uh, look, um, it's really an extraordinary book. Uh, you know, I recommend it. I badger people about it. Um, uh, uh, I, what are you working on now? I mean, what do you work on when you've done a book that is so? Universally praised. Where do you go from here? Um, another book, just as ambitious, I think. Um, I'm thinking of doing a book about capitalism. About what Cap- capitalism? Ah, okay. So, well, that should keep you busy. Yes. Yeah. A lot of research, a lot of uh, trying to figure out again a structure that is you know as interesting but yet different from this book. Well, you have a great knack for for making history lively and fun and and dynamic to read about. Um, uh, I had another question I want to ask you. Oh, oh, what do you do? You you live in Singapore and uh, you have a studio there. Do you teach? Do you only draw? Um, I've done some teaching in the past, but I think that... What's your life like in Singapore? (laughs) I'm a freelance artist, so uh, Uh I just do comics, uh, some illustration on the side. And that's about it. I mean, I, I try to balance the commercial and the personal world as much as I can, and hope that the personal world eventually become commercial. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, I, the, you couldn't ask for a more noble ambition. Um, uh, look, Sunny, thank you so much Thanks, for being uh, on More to Come. Yeah, good luck. I can't wait to see your book on capitalism. Thank you. Hello, welcome back to Comic-Con. Heidi McDonald here for more to come. We've survived the fire alarm. Uh, we have continuing with our planned activities. So that includes, I'm here with uh, Jackson Public and Ken Plume. Uh, and they are the authors of, the creators of a book whose name I'm going to let them say. <laughs> Go Team Venture, the art and making of the Venture Brothers. Okay, the Venture Brothers. Uh, now, what is the Venture Brothers? No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, if you're listening, you probably know that the Venture Brothers, of course, is a TV show, an animated cartoon, really more of a legend. Uh, that's how many years now? Technically, we were figuring it out inside. I mean, the I, uh, the pilot premiered in 2003. So. Oh my God, that's when the technically 14 years, and for me, even longer because but, I was making it up before that. That's when the Beat debuted. So the Venture Brothers and, and, the, years in season and the Beat one. are the same age. Wow. Yeah. And I feel like an old timer. So how long have you guys been working on this book? Hmm. <laughs> uh, on and off for a few years, it's, right? We it's were... been at least three years. Right. Uh, it, it's 
started off as more of a straight art book and then evolved into a comprehensive history of the show. Yeah, kind of a behind-the-scenes interview had, book. Is in that sort of what would you expect to happen with Adventure Brothers? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> that expands wildly beyond its parameters into something great, but it takes a little bit longer to pull it together. It turns out it's hard to make a book and a TV show at the same time. Uh and you know, we have a history of taking a long time with the TV show. But uh, it's also hard because we, you know, yeah, we're talking about like 13, 14 years of history or whatever and artwork that's been collected and survived like three different studios that were in six or seven different locations. So like digging stuff up on old hard drives and, and you know, figuring out who did what and going through it all was uh, uh, tricky. And then finding wow. time to talk about it and select and stuff like that so you know right wow well that's actually I mean if you think about all the, the stuff because I mean so many pe great people have worked on the show also you know just in terms of like uh, you know background artists and animators and yeah, yeah. you know people who work with you and of course uh, your co-creator Doc Hammer um, not here but I mean you know everything that's on that and you, I remember because you were a little co-terminus with Bita, you know, like Bill Sienkiewicz has done all this awesome, yeah. you know, covers. I mean, you've always gotten these great artists to do all the peripherals. I mean, who are some of the other people who are in the book? Um, God, I don't know. We haven't even... I, 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 well, haven't, you, I haven't seen those chapters yet, Well, I actually. mean, you've got some Rick Lacey stuff, and you've got... But, I mean, I, you're talking about people who worked on the show or like yeah like Bill Sienkiewicz uh, and got Patrick the promotional artwork some uh, stuff and um, who did the uh, poster work for season six the that was Patrick yeah and uh, the advertising artwork is all mm -hmm. in there all the right. billboards that have gone up over yeah. the years the DVD material two covers for us uh, I did one and then Patrick did one that I think Chris Fisher painted over and maybe another one that was there Tinian painted over? I don't know. It's, yeah. it's all lost. There's a lot of stuff. Well, well that's yeah. why we're going to read the book. Yeah. When we read the book, we will know the answers to all of this stuff. Now, so. uh, Ken, is, are, 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 is uh, uh, Jackson here a pack rat, maybe? I mean, was there a lot of stuff to go through, or was it organized? <laughs> well, he sent everything he had to Dark Horse as far as yeah, yeah. sketchbooks. I mean, there's, you I know. sent a big box of notebooks and stuff. Yeah. To them. yeah, there's a lot of. They had access to everything that he could find, yeah. and then later regretted sending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's very critical of his own artwork. Yeah. Well, you know, because as an artist, it's like a lot of it's doodles and just notes, and it's it was never intended for publication. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, 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 but and then every once in a while, sure, there's a cool looking one in there where you see a note that's funny because it's a thing that didn't get on the show. And but when you go look at those old Disney books or Warner Brothers books, yeah. and you see their doodles, I mean, aren't you fascinated by them? Yeah, but they're like <laughs> they're amazing <laughs> artists. Their doodles are these beautiful illustrations. You know, yeah. like I'm just a guy drawing dumb little heads like the way anybody doodles when they're on the phone or something. Right. See, I have an appreciation for okay his dumb not, little heads. Right, I, right, right. Particularly I, would, I would err on the side of leave it in because I right. think they're fascinating and I think have wonderful artwork sure. even in your doodles. No, I like some I, of them. I can and, be, I, and I love process stuff. As, a, as a, an enjoyer of books like this, I like to see the process. Sure. 
There's only a few that I was like, oh, please don't put that in. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sketch of the vanity I want to build in my bathroom. Oh, that's, that's a, it was a beautiful that's vanity. vanity. Yeah, it was a, so many people would be inspired by oh, that no, vanity. Ari. Oh, man. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, let's, let's drill down here a little bit. Uh, why do you think that everything to do with the Venture Brothers becomes far more wonderful and complicated? <laughs> um... You know, there's I, uh, the inside uh, the bubble answer and the outside pers- the bubble answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of it's a labor of love. It's nothing worth doing. Um, shouldn't have the proper amount of time spent on it. I don't know. The creative process takes a while. It's re- Doc and I are the only writers, so that takes a while. And then I am directing the show. Right. So well, we don't, you-, you know, we don't get to, you know, a regular TV show or something. Um, you know, right now we're about to, we're in production. Like, if we were another TV show, the writers would be working on next season right now. Right. But I can't work on next season until I stop working 16 hours And of course you do the voices too. As so. director. That doesn't take long. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, you're involved, you know, yeah. from soup to nuts. I mean, it is a very, very personal project. And that's a great yeah. answer. That's a great answer. Because I think there is a lot of like, you know, like. A, it's personal and people are messy. Yeah. So there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's that's a great way to put it. But but I mean, obviously, it's become something on me. I mean, it's just like you know, Gormenghast now or Game of Thrones. Like you got your own Game of Thrones going on there, really, don't you? Yeah. Well, the cast is almost as big. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah, but I mean, also, you know, you kill off some of your favorites. I mean, everybody's died yeah. many times. <laughs> kill some people. Uh, give a whole episode to people who should never have a whole episode. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, the so, show has always been a labor of love, even when you hated yeah. it with a passion. Yeah, yeah. At the point of just wanting to get through things. I mean, sure. they, they, we, they yeah, wouldn't, it, it wouldn't take so long if they didn't love it no. so much. No, oh, well, obviously. And that's why it's become such a cult. I mean, yeah. it's also not an easy show. It's a pretty ambitious show. It always has been for our, you know, either the amount of time we have or the budget that we have or whatever. We've always tried to make it look and feel better like twice as much like it costs twice as much right um and now the better the artists you get like just when you kind of get over the hurdles of one season where you're like oh we want it we want it to be more attractive we're going to finesse it more um as soon as you get the artists who are good enough to do that then you really want to you know (laughs) like you're like oh now i got this person who can do all this kick-ass stuff that is totally different from how i used to direct the show now i want to try that the next thing. I mean, we're always trying to improve it. Right. You want to go from Tiffany to Fabergé. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, how much, how much more venture is there? I don't know. I mean, we're um, we're in the middle of the seventh season right now, making it. Uh, Doc and I are writing the last episode of that season right now while we're producing. I don't know. We're all the way up through like the seventh, as far as like storyboards and crap like that uh, and we did not write it like it's a final season so you know right so there's no end in sight I mean there's gotta be an end <laughs> we've, been, we've been doing it forever well I was gonna okay so I was talking to someone actually and uh-huh. you know there's a huge presence for the tick here yeah and like I said oh yeah well, you know Chris did the tick and, and they were like he did 
But I was like, yeah, don't you remember that? I was like, because that's because you and Ben Edlin were like really good friends, but isn't that yeah. like how you kind of got your start was back yes. in the day? Ben gave me my first job. Yeah. I was in college when I started writing uh, for a Tick spinoff comic and had only done a couple of issues that uh, of that when he was like, hey, you want to write an episode of the cartoon? Because I, um, I think they were making like six or seven of them. And then they went, ah, oh, screw it, we'll make 13. And he was like, oh, I need writers. So that started me off. Yeah. Are you surprised um, to see the tick coming back? Like getting a big... No, I mean, I'm still friends with Ben. I have a, a tiny, um, tiny bit of activity with it. Like I, mean, I didn't work on it officially, but I like helped out a little bit, like uh, brainstorm, late night phone calls. Right, 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 yeah. yeah. Helper, um, helper worker, helper yeah, bee. I think maybe I have a credit on yeah. it somewhere, but... Um, He's a good friend. Yes, yeah. yes, there you go. A friend a of friend, the tick. So been, a good citizen. It, it, is, it is a little surprising, but Ben has been talking about it for a couple of years, like messing around with something, and right. the producers from the last one were like kind of yeah. trying to get him back on board. Yeah. So. Well, it's a very sturdy concept. I mean, obviously, and, you know, like the sense of humor is, is so unique, so... Well, and now more than ever. Yes. Know, there wasn't... I mean... Look where we are and how this has changed in the last like 15 years. Oh, yeah. And how, yeah. Yeah, I think when we did that show, even when we started Adventure Brothers, like there was what, one Spider Man movie, one X Men movie or something? You know, we were too insider geeky right. during our first season and like the geek culture just took over. Right. And well, now, it's just you can actually compare and contrast. You yeah, can yeah. see the NEC booth here on the floor that shows how it was. Yeah. For that 20 years ago, and then walk outside and see this big, massive multimedia display for the TV show. Well, that yeah. that is so true because apparently that is the same booth they had 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> and I said I always make fun with uh, Larry, who runs the New England Comics booth, and, and I said, "Dude, you stayed with it, and you're finally back in style." You know, <laughs> like it took all this time, and you finally got it going on again. But um, no, I, I I mean it's just um, you know I know how dedicated you are to Dimension Brothers and. Like, you know, I hope you come up for air sometime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe just a little, you know, something relaxing, like running a marathon or, you know, yeah. becoming a triathlete, something like that. Like, no, just whenever to, to we, kill time. Uh, whenever know. we get a break, we do something crazy, like move across the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, you know, and Ken... We decided to do a book. Yeah. yeah. Ken, what do you, like you also, I met you for the first time, you were a webmaster. I mean, what do you, what else are you doing besides this venture for this book? Oh, uh, I've done some animation production. I did some animation production for Kevin Smith when he was doing his Smotimations a few years back. Did a lot of that. Uh, doing an animated project with uh, John Kabalik. Uh, oh, yeah. Dork Tower. Dork Tower. Well, that's that, another. Uh, hopefully, we, we did something that someone may see soon. Mm-hmm. He's going to be making a lot of announcements about Dork Tower soon. So right. that is happening. Right. Uh, what did I do? I produced a documentary called Milius uh, that came out a few years ago I think it can still be found on the filmmaker John Milius oh okay the guy who made Conan the director Conan, Conan and yes, uh, yes. wrote Apocalypse Now and yeah right 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 so Quinn Speech and Jaws the Indianapolis speech so right <laughs> also produced in 1941 and <laughs> <laughs> everybody's got a yeah. few clickers on there so uh uh, well, I'm sure, uh, you know, Venture Brothers fans will really look forward uh, to the book, myself included. Uh, and, you know, for season seven, uh, any little hints and warnings you want to give us about that? Any more toxic masculinity or father issues or 
Oh, uh, yeah, oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. No, I mean, the one, <laughs> yeah. I, the one I'm writing now is actually kind of like should have been last season's finale. Like, that's... We're always a couple episodes behind our so... Even behind your own schedule. Yeah, this well, season will start off with a kind of epic multi-part story that brings everything from last season to a head, and then we clear the decks and get into it. It's another gargantuan. Yeah. In its own way. Quieter way, but yeah. Well, a lot to look forward to. So, uh, well, Jackson, uh, Ken, thank you very much. And as, as always, there'll be more to come. Hi, welcome to More to Come, Heidi McDonald, uh, PW's graphic novels review editor at Comic-Con, and I am in the DC Crow's Nest, finally, got up here, amazing view. I'm sitting here with uh, John Ridley, Oscar-winning screenwriter, uh, TV showrunner, American Crime, Gorillas, and the author of uh, The American Way, one of my favorite uh, mini series or series. Uh oh. Well, now we're loud. Hold on. Uh, anyway, one of the, the American Way, one of my favorite graphic novels. Um, I guess in the alternate superhero history uh, genre. Yeah, you know, it, it's its own universe. It's its uh, it's its own thing, which is kind of interesting to be able to write in a space where you don't have to worry about treading on um, other history. Uh, canon, people saying, oh, but, you know, this didn't happen, or how does that fit in? There's a, there's a little bit of uh, freedom that's involved in creating your own world, and very special. How many times do you get to say that? That's true, that's true. I, I, I think, um, I mean, obviously The Watchmen is the best known in the genre, but there's a lot of other really, really good books to me. Um, I love Rick Meech's uh, Max Immortal. Yeah. Um, the Black Hammer is a very good one now, yeah. and and I, I feel like the American Way is definitely, as I said, it's really a very important message that you did in the first one, especially obviously as regards race and as regards uh, American history in the '60s. Um, and now you're back with a sequel, so uh, that's set in the '70s, and um, it's been ten years, but it seems like. The themes, obviously, the times right now. It's all about civil unrest. Um, why don't you tell us tell us what it's about, though? You know, it, it's very interesting that you say that the themes feel very sim uh, similar, and certainly that's not because we adjusted past history, but I think it really is a history lesson in the idea that um, dissatisfaction with the government, with um, people who feel as though they are marginalized, that their voices are not being heard, um, unfortunately, rough encounters between the citizenry and law enforcement. You know, these things didn't happen overnight. And I think there are a lot of young people out there um, who feel as though, you know, is there hope for the future? Why are these things happening? Um, they've happened before. And the only way they change is with engagement. Um, that's not to say that how people feel, they shouldn't feel that way and be dismissed like, oh, hey, you know, your grandfather went through that. Um, but these things, They've happened in the past, they happen in the present, um, it's up to us, and that's one of the themes of the American way. You know, we can't really look to people in costumes to change real issues for us. Um, we've got to do it ourselves, but in doing it, sometimes they don't work out perfectly. Uh, one of the series that I loved when I was much younger was the mid-80s run of The Question, Denny O'Neill and Denny Cowan. And it was awesome. just so gray. Right. And about a guy, no powers, uh, 
whether they meant to or, or not, they didn't uh, create the question, but they uh, made him indelible, was the idea that, you know, the whole story was a question. There was no answer. Um, there was no easy way to solve the issues in this city. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to bring to the American way. I believe the stories week to week, issue to issue, are amazingly satisfactory. But that idea that problem solving is bigger than any one of us, we have got to find a way to do it together. Yeah, and I think it's also, uh, it's a great medium to kind of tell these stories. Uh, just, you know, via the vehicle of superheroes, like you say, they really have a lot to say about our aspirations uh, in society, don't they? They absolutely do, and when one understands where the majority of these heroes originally came from and what was going on in the world and people who truly were marginalized, feared for their lives, feared for their identity um, and wanted to find a way to express themselves, that's where they come from. And we still see it today, you know, the, the way that Wonder Woman the film was so embraced, you know, an audience that is just waiting for representation of them. Um, that's the exciting thing, and I believe we're going to see it with Black Panther as well. Right, right. Um, so that's what is exciting about comic books. Uh, you know, obviously, the science fiction comic book fantasy audience has always been a little more forward than your typical audience. They've had a capacity to embrace, to imagine. Uh, to want to see different worlds, and I believe they want to see that um, in the way that graphic novels, comic books, sci-fi are, are presented in the real world. But you talk about the opportunity, absolutely. I mean, look, 10 years ago, the American way existed. It's taken me 10 years to be able to represent stories like that in the television space, in the film space. So uh, I've been able to do it in the comic book space 10 years earlier, I don't think that was an accident. I think the audience that we presented the American way to stood ready much earlier. That's a fantastic point, actually. Um, and and uh, I, I think that's why comics right now, you know, they're saying it's peak TV, obviously, yeah. you're, you're heavily involved in that, but really is peak comics. And I think they're, yeah. I, I would agree with you, I think they're leading the way in a lot of these. And it's, I mean, it should, does it surprise you to see so much television based on comics properties here well, I, I wish that they were doing this when I was a younger man I think they did attempt it and they just didn't you know the execution or the ability to execute wasn't there I'm not surprised and I'm very more enthused by the way right when it seems like okay too many comic books too many comic book stories whether it's Ant-Man or Deadpool or Wonder Woman or Black Panther, you know, the, I, I think the industry is finding ways of not just self-replicating. It's not just the umpteenth version of Superman. Always going to be Superman, always going to be Batman, but finding new ways to bring in stories that are based on graphic novels, but saying there's more than just your typical costumed hero, um, whether it's Preacher, you know, things like that. Uh, American Gods, which is you know, slightly... You know, more of, I think, a novel than a straight comic book, but you know, that, that it continues to be mined, I think, is only beneficial to the business because if you do the same thing over and over again, people are going to get tired of it. Shake it up a little bit, people can go, oh, well, that's interesting. Let me check that out. I think that's great. Right. Now, are you uh, are you a big science fiction fan? Uh, I would say, compared to the folks that are here, I would never use the word big because somebody's going to break out some facts that I'm not aware of. But I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. Grew up reading comic books. Still love um, anything with a spaceship in it. I cannot get enough spaceships. Um, for me, that's just my thing. Is I, I, I love that idea of 
sitting in the captain's chair and saying, you know, we're, we're going to go that way. Uh, so yeah, I would I would say I'm a, a good science fiction fan. I certainly grew up reading Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov, Foundation books, Illustrated Man, things like that. Um, working on a, a piece, piece of speculative fiction, Needle in a Time Stack, Robert Silverberg, a short story that he'd written. So yeah, I, I, I'm a good fan. Don't want to get in a fan fight with anybody. No, no, no. I mean, I guess I just asked you that because, um, you know, I think there is like like even just some of the themes that you're talking about obviously obviously you you know your <laughs> you know I know, you know my I know my history I know my, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my basic facts right. you know I, I love reading I still continue to love to read right. and physical comic books I've never quite gotten into the digital right. um, well how does how does writing comics fit into your career uh, I mean it's obviously cathartic it's um, you know I, I, I write professionally and I write for relaxation I, I, I really write Constantly, but when I when I was working on the second series of American Way, I was doing uh, American Crime, doing Guerrilla, and working on this documentary, Let It Fall, uh, about the LA uprising 25 years ago. So, you know, you're writing with real specific parameters. When you're working on a documentary, you cannot fudge the facts. You cannot right. change things based on your taste or your uh, perspective. You're writing television. Um, you got to hit that price point. You got to hit your budget. You got to hit your days. Um, certainly, you have fundamental responsibilities in, in producing a comic book on a, on a monthly basis. However, uh, to be able to write the fantastic, to be uh, limited only by your imagination, to have a, a, an amazing artist as a partner who can render almost anything, it really was cathartic after these days of just, you know, I don't want to quite say slogging through doing television. But honestly, it came down to, you know, Saturday and Sunday, this is what I'm doing. It's page two, panel four. What really tells that story? What delivers the emotion? What are those few things to get that done? And, and that, that was a very relaxing I, weekend. I think that's a very inspiring story for a lot of people, actually. Uh, you know, like this busy day job, making great TV shows, and, you know, to relax, let's write some great comics. Nothing, nothing <laughs> like... Well, I, I think it's very nice of you to say, great, I hope they're very, very good at the very least, but there really is nothing like having the opportunity to put something together that you know is going to go into a comic book store and people on New Comic Day are going to rush there, maybe for years, maybe not, but just to have that communal experience of collecting, you know, picking up, paging through, is this interesting, am right. I grabbed by the art, am I grabbed by... Oh, I know this writer. Am I grabbed by, you know, it's just, well, I'm going to go down the DC line and pick right. up everything that's new. Right. It's, it, it, it is a rare opportunity. Every one of those stands is real estate. And to have the opportunity to have a piece of real estate um, in a shop across America is not lost on me. It's very special. Right, right. Well, we're glad, we're glad to definitely have you back. Now, American Way, uh, I'm, now I'm spacing the, the subtitle of this, the second part. This is uh, Those Above and Those Below. Right. Uh, it is the um, second series. It is six issues. Uh, the first one is out now, or now-ish, as you and I speak. Uh, the second one will be out in uh, in a month, in um, August. So, right, right. Um, please look for it. Yeah, and uh, it, it is definitely uh, for fans of comics, and also people. I think 
like you said, it gives us a little look at, at uh, a little perspective on what's happening today that I think uh, actually might come as, as uh, a relief in some ways and uh, help us get through what we're, we're experiencing right now. Um, thank you. John, thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to have this time to talk to you. And, Absolutely. Uh, happy Comic-Con. <laughs> thank you very much. We'll see if I survive it. Thank you.